You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Please be seated. Let's turn to God's Word. Now, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because it changes everything, and especially, I think, our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the law. And we're going to read uh, John chapter 11, which is a story of Jesus raising someone from the dead. Now, contrary to what you will often hear, people say, oh, in those days, there were lots of resurrections from the dead. People believed in them, never really happened. Jesus was just another one. Actually, the whole idea of resurrection was one that was very rare and astounding. Even amongst the Jewish people, there was a split between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two of the leading groups, about whether resurrection could actually occur at the end of time, never mind during life. But this is one story that as we look at it, we're going to uh, reflect upon the resurrection of Jesus, how it changes everything. John 11, now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth Round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. It's an amazing story. This is God's word, and I want us to look at it in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and just think about it for the moment from the perspective of the disciples and Mary and that sense. Have you ever had that sense sometimes of deja vu? I've been here before. Well, going to a tomb that had been sealed with a stone, they had been there before. And uh, it must have been astonishing, of course, for them to eventually come to realize, because they didn't, but eventually come to realize that everything 
was coming from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Whilst they were living in that moment, they saw some amazing things, not least this. But as later on, as the cross is passed and the resurrection is passed and the ascension is passed, it must have been utterly amazing for these disciples to reflect upon everything that had happened and here especially. Lazarus is, uh, it's a great name by the way, Lazarus is a, an, a, a kind of version of the name Elazar, and Elazar means the one whom God has helped. I remember coming out of hospital, one of the nurses saying to me, oh well we're saying goodbye to Lazarus, um, which was quite nice actually uh, to, to, to think about it like that. But I want us just to take, we're going to go, I, I'm not going to keep you here for a long time, but I just want to take some basic lessons from this and just a whole range of things that get me thinking and I hope will get you thinking and reflecting as well, whether you're a Christian or not. First is this, Christians get sick. If you think Christianity is something that says, well, it means that you won't get ill. You see, the, some of the, the Jews said about Jesus, well, wait a minute, he could have, he, he opened the eyes of the blind, surely he could have kept him from getting sick. We believe that God is all-powerful, and therefore you would think that because God is all-powerful, he wouldn't want us to suffer, and if we get sick, it's either God is not God, or there's something wrong with us, or anything like that. But Christians do get sick. Jesus was human. He got ill. Jesus wept. We've just read that as well. I think that uh, we need to remember that. There will always be pain and illness. We will never have a slide that we put up on a Sunday morning which does not have someone who is ill that we are praying for. Um, It's lovely when you're not ill. When you've been ill, you know, for a while or even for a short time, especially if you're a man, when you recover, it's just great. It's just fantastic. When you're walking around in good health, you never ever think about um, sickness. But it is a, a, a fact that we as Christians do get sick and also that we die. And sometimes that can be a really puzzling thing. Sometimes the way that Christ leads his people is very mysterious. Right at the beginning of this story when they they just don't get what Jesus is doing. And I love the fact that the disciples don't understand and don't get. They don't get that he's going to go back to a place where they've threatened to kill him. And Thomas uh, Didymus, one of the twins, he just says, well, uh, sorry, forgive the language, we said, stuff it, we'll just go and die. We might as well. That's it. You know, Jesus is committing suicide. Let's just go with him. They didn't understand. And I think that many of us, as we, even as we're at Easter and we're thinking about the relevance of the resurrection to us, that for many of us, there is still a puzzle in our lives. Why is my friend, my relative, my, why am I sick and dying? Why? And how does that kick in with what we read here? This sickness that Lazarus had. I love what Jesus says in verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. There's a very... Death is a really difficult thing to speak about, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever, ever had the experience of having to go and tell somebody 
that their friend or their relative has died. And it's not quite in the awkward moment where, you know, someone says to you, how's your mother? You say, well, my mother died a year ago. I'm talking about having to go and break the news that someone has died. And Jesus does it in such a tender way. His friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Because for the Christian, we recognize death not as being final, not as being the end, but as being sleep, not annihilation. Genesis 47.30, when I rest with my fathers, Jacob, using, speaking about his own death as sleep. Acts 7 verse 60, when he had said this, he fell asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. That is a very comforting way in which the scriptures speak of the death of believers. You know how when you, if um, you've got a child and you go, your child's ill and then finally you get your child to sleep and you go downstairs and you say, at last they're asleep. It's not a morning. It's not um, something that is you're distressed about. You're glad that they're asleep. For the believer, when a believer dies, we say that they are asleep, that they are at rest. And it's all because of this, all because of what Jesus did. I think tied in with this as well, he speaks so affectionately, is because of his love. So, in verse 3, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. And as many of you know, there are different words in Greek for love. And they use a word that means deep friendship. The phileo, the word we get for Philadelphia. Deep friendship. You know, most of us, um, I hope that we have people here who are friends in, in the real sense of the word. And the sisters know that Jesus has this affection, this warmth, this love. A real friend who will come and help when there's trouble. But look at verse 5. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And the word that is used there is the word agape, which is a word that is used for the self-sacrificing love of God. There isn't a deeper love. There isn't a love that goes further. Friendship love is fantastic. But this love is a love that is extraordinary. And and it's used deliberately by John to emphasize the love of Christ for his people. And I think that is an absolutely uh, wonderful thing for us. Now you see that again in verse 33 where when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It's hard to grasp what we mean by love, actually. We get ideas of it. We can understand phileo, friendship, you know, your mates. You think of the American TV show Friends, you know, or everyone's got friends and, you know, we can, we can understand that. We can understand eros and romantic love. But the love that's spoken of here is something that 
I think the Apostle Paul sums it up when he says he wants us to know how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ. Because it's difficult to grasp. And sometimes we will say that love is not an emotion and that it's what we do. And I understand why we're saying that. But love is emotional as well. And here you see the love of Jesus not just in the way that he treats Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but also in the way that he reacts at the graveside, at the death of Lazarus. He was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. And the idea there is a a sense of anger, a sense of indignation, a sense of outrage. People speculate as to why that was. Maybe he was out of sympathy for the sisters. Maybe because he saw the unreality and hypocrisy of the professional mourners around. You know, they're playing a game. They're going along to a funeral and they're crying. Oh, time to cry. Here we go again. You go through the ritual. Everyone, all cultures have funeral rituals. All cultures. And I want to suggest this, that most, if not all, involve some element of hypocrisy. And hiding away from the reality of what has happened. Uh, In the past year I was at a humanist funeral. And I just felt so angry. So angry at how empty and vain and pathetic it was. So maybe Jesus felt a little bit of that. Sometimes you go and people mumble pietistic words. And say truisms and so on. But I think there's more. I think there is the pathos of human suffering in the light of his own suffering being so close. Because verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, you've got professional mourners, if you like. Sometimes even paid people to come and mourn. But you would go to the house and just as, you know, in Scottish, well, at least in the Highland, in Highland tradition, you'd go to a wake. And what would you have? A cup of tea. And everyone would bring a box of Tetley's. So if you had someone die in your house, you had enough tea to go you through five years because you just had boxes and boxes of Tetley's or whatever kind of tea. And that's what you do. You have a cup of tea. In this culture, you go to the house and time to cry, you cry. And you can just turn it on. Some would really feel it, obviously, but others, it's just what you did. You cried. You clap at some points in different scenarios. You laugh in different scenarios. You go to a funeral, you cry. Get ready with the tears. Jesus wasn't like that. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He wept. And the the Jews saw this and said, see how he loved him. There was something about the weeping of Jesus that was incredible. Maybe it's because I'm Scottish, but uh, I don't like seeing people crying. It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? What do you do? Um, We children cry and that's fine. Um... The, sorry for being sexist women crying you kind of as a man I sort of expect it but see when you see a, a man burst into tears before you I don't, I don't know what to do you know slap him grow up stop it you know I, I don't I really don't know what to do and um, it's it's just extraordinary it, it's you know it happened to me a few times that I've just been overwhelmed with emotion and I guess my culture says no you shouldn't be weeping But I think my culture is wrong. I think that Jesus uh, demonstrates and shows that. This is the only place, by the way, 
in the New Testament where this verb occurs. And I think what I love about the tears of Jesus is because of his tears, ours shall be wiped away. It's a different word that's used, by the way, from the wailing of the Jews, which indicates the significance of what John saw. The German philosopher Nietzsche saw sympathy and empathy as weakness and tears and despised it. He wrote a book called Man and Superman, and for him, Jesus was the antithesis of man and Superman. It's interesting in our culture, isn't it? Um, Some of you will know this, some of you won't know it, some of you won't care, Um, but between now and the year 2020, you're going to get 10 Superman, Iron Man, superhero movies at least. It's the, going to be supposed to be the in thing, the franchise, some wonder hero who's going to step in and save the world. It's a strange, I think that's a strange phenomenon in the cultural world. Jesus would never fit in any of those. Um, There's a preacher called Mark Driscoll, who in many ways was a good preacher, but in other ways um, went over the top in some things. And one of the things he went over the top in, he he liked to do this kind of manly thing. You know, and um, both about himself, but also about Jesus. Jesus was a man. And, you know, and he would have things like, my Jesus could beat up guys. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Our Jesus, with one finger, could call 10,000 angels and wipe people out. But our Jesus is the Jesus who weeps in public at the indignity and the wrongness and the horror of death. And then... This miracle, the purpose, the same as for his resurrection. Verse 4, this sickness is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus delayed for two days, not because of a lack of care, but because it should be glorifying to God this experience and it should help the disciples in terms of faith. Verse 15, so that you may believe. Jesus is training the disciples. And incidentally, for those of us who are Christians, there's a narrative about Christianity which you've just got wrong and it's why you're in so much trouble because you think I became a Christian and that was it and everything was great. I believe and that's it. But Jesus is discipling you and what he's doing is he's training you to believe more and more and more. Calvin talks about never progressing in the Christian faith unless you meditate often on the resurrection. And you see, I suspect some of you, for, for, even as Christians, Easter is about, why, it's cute, it's chocolate, it's, it's, yes, Jesus is alive and it's nice to sing the good hymns and so on. But did you wake up this morning, and some of you will have done, I'm sure of this, actually filled with joy because Jesus is alive? And will you go to your work tomorrow filled with joy because Jesus is alive? And if the answer is no, you need to be trained and discipled to believe. And God uses sickness and God uses illness and God uses really difficult circumstances to help us understand that. And then in verse 41 and 42, there's an extraordinary prayer. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Why did Jesus do miracles that we may believe? 
He's not saying in verse 41, uh, if only you believe, you will see the miracle happening. He's saying to Martha, if you stop thinking about the corpse and if you focus your attention on me, then you will see this miracle as a true sign. It's how you view things. Because listen, there were people who witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the dead who ended up crucifying Christ. Because they still got it wrong. But it was just extraordinary this. And, and the, the miracle itself, the tomb was in the form of a hole in the rock, like a cavern, a cave, as Jesus' own tomb. In the tomb four days, there was a uh, superstition, a Jewish superstition that the soul stayed around the body for three days. There was decomposition of the body. They thought that there's going to be a bad odor. By this time, there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. And Jesus says, take away the stone. I guess he could have moved it himself if he's going to raise him from the dead. But he wanted them to have some part in it. He shouted in a loud voice. Not so that Lazarus would hear him, but so that the crowd would hear. And from Lazarus came, I mean, just try and picture that. You, I mean, you talk about freaking out. This guy just comes out and forget zombie, all the other stuff, with, you know, with the bandages and everything. And Jesus says, go on and tie him. Take his grave clothes off. That's just, really? Yeah, really. And how do we know really? Because that's what happened with Jesus, except the stone was already rolled away and the grave clothes were already taken off. And so there are reactions to this story, of course. The disciples are fearful initially for the safety of Jesus. They don't understand the word of Jesus. They take something that he said, he's sleeping, uh, and they take it literally instead of as he meant it, metaphorically. But you can imagine afterwards the mixture of emotions that they have in that. Martha and Mary, I think for me, they're the ones that I just... Uh, astounded by and also Lazarus of course this sickness will not end in death did they believe it when they were told that they talked together we know that Um, verses 21 Martha spoke to Jesus and verse 32 uh, he Jesus observed them Martha is the person of action. She's the one who goes out to meet Jesus. Mary stays at home. She's a more contemplative, reflective type. She's seen as more emotional than Martha, although there are tears all around. I think what astounds me about both Mary and Martha are that they were women who were deeply emotional in grief, yet deeply committed and trusting in Jesus Christ. In fact, Along with Job, I think it's difficult to think of a more deep statement of faith than uh, Martha's, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world as she's standing at the grave of her brother, knowing that Jesus had delayed coming to see and heal her brother. It's a double meaning in verse 23. I know he will rise in the day of resurrection. Jesus, of course, is talking about being raised now as well. Incidentally, uh, it's it's just an obvious thing, but something I hadn't thought about until 
I can't remember, I heard someone speaking on it. It may have been Tim Keller uh, last, uh, last year. But just talking about Lazarus, he died, but he was going to die again. Do you think he would fear death the second time? I don't think so. I think it was just wonderful in that sense. And in the whole of this story, Jesus comes out with this thing that we celebrate today when he says, I am the resurrection. There are seven I ams that he says, and this one, I am the resurrection. The resurrection, I am the life. Resurrection comes before life because resurrection, or rather new life, is the product of resurrection. Because he lives, we also shall live. The physical death fails to quench the believer's real life. I love when you get into chapter 12 that Jesus is anointed at Bethany. Because you go on, you read into chapter 12, that is the context. Mary is so grateful for what Jesus has done and is so moved that she takes this just really expensive perfume and anoints Jesus. And you know, of course, why she does so. Maybe she doesn't know why. Jesus knew, verse 7, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Her response was to give all that she had to follow Jesus. And then there's the people. They observed, verse 45, many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and seen what Jesus did, believed in him. They considered, they pondered, they studied, they reflected upon it. And that is what I want you to do today. I don't want you to go, right, that's Easter over and we'll celebrate again next year. And isn't it wonderful? And isn't it great? You know, new life, daffodils, lambs, um, cuteness, and it's just wonderful. And what a nice religious festival, etc., 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 springtime, and so on. I want you to think about the actual reality of the story. I'm sorry, but the people who are in church this morning who are hearing ministers and priests and bishops going, well, Jesus kind of rises in our hearts and Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. It doesn't really matter whether he did or not. It's, it's just the spirit of Jesus lives on. That's pathetic and useless. It's no good. We serve a risen Lord. In fact, uh, this evening, I'm going to look at the ascension because... Um, well, I'm going to look at it because Morag Miller asked me to. And it's not that she has that power, but she gave me a book on the ascended Christ and asked a key question. When, did, when, when have you heard sermons on, on the ascension? And do you know this? I thought, very, very rarely and very, very rarely have I preached one. So I was reading this book. I was so impressed. I just thought, wait a minute. Christ isn't just risen. He's ascended. And I'm thinking about what that means. Now, I'm not going to go into that just now. You'll have to come tonight uh, for that one. But thank Morag for that because it just it really stimulated me, that book, and uh, got me thinking about it. And that's where we're at. There is, a, there is a human body that sits on the throne of heaven. And that is wonderful. I think we do have this idea. I'll give you one thing from tonight. I think we do have this idea that uh, Jesus came down as the Son of God, that he became incarnate, he became man, and then he was raised from the dead, and then when he ascended into heaven, he stopped being man. He went back to being God again. That's wrong. That's not what it says. So someone who can stand at the grave of Lazarus and weep, someone who can hug Mary and Martha, Someone who can feel everything that we feel 
ascended to heaven and is there for us. He's the right hand of God interceding for us. Some people believe that. I want you to, to think about it and reflect upon it because it is so wonderful and it is so amazing. And if you get it, it changes your life. If you get it, it makes everything different. And if you don't get it, you heap condemnation on yourself. Because some went off and they reported it to the authorities. The Pharisees discussed the matter in the Sanhedrin. It was then they determined to put Jesus to death. Can you get how perverse humanity is? That humanity, someone dies and Jesus comes and raises them from the dead. And because they're raised from the dead, they determined that the one who raised them should die. That's how perverse human beings are. I think of that poor Glasgow shopkeeper who posts a tweet about his beloved Christian Scotland and may everyone live in the spirit of Jesus and love and so on. And do you know this? What a marvelous thing to say. And then someone travels up from England to kill him because he said that. That's the perversity of humanity. And that's the perversity, by the way, of religion without Christ. They didn't question the signs, by the way. They didn't say it didn't happen because they knew it did happen. They were just afraid that people would believe. There were political considerations here. They were concerned about their own status. Luke 16, 31. Jesus said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I've been writing a series for Christian Today on evidences for Christianity. And of course, this week, the greatest evidence is Easter, Jesus rising from the dead. And it's incredible the kind of emails and stuff you get from people. And I got one from somebody who said, he's just yelling, shouting, capital letters. There is no evidence. There is no evidence. What he means is there can be no evidence. I don't want there to be no evidence. But there is. There is plenty evidence. Do you believe this, he says. Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's not asking for a confession of faith in himself, but a confession of belief in his statement. Do you believe what I'm teaching? Do you believe what I'm saying to you? He says. And Martha's response bears a striking resemblance to John's statement of purpose about why he wrote this book in John 20, verse 31. These are written, Jesus did many other miracles, but these are written that you may believe. You see, the Christian is somebody who may not personally have experienced someone rising from the dead. The Christian is someone who believes what Jesus says. Absolutely believes. Our faith is in Christ, but not just in Christ, in an exalted Christ, in a risen Christ. We need clear views of who Christ is, what Christ has done, and the power that he has. I don't know who said this. It sounds like something John Calvin or Sinclair would have said. Um, The root of happy religion is clear, distinct, well-defined knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, you've all fallen in for this trap of if only I knew myself better, if only I had a better grasp of the world around, if only. And God says, if only you knew me better, then it would be sorted. I know, says Paul, whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him 
for that day. To know Jesus is to love him and to have absolute and complete confidence in him. Those of you who are not yet Christians, please think about what Easter means. The resurrection will serve either to save you or to condemn you. What you cannot do is ignore it. Please find out and please seek the Christ, the risen Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, we strive to follow Christ in every way, to be like him in tender heart and sympathy. We are not Nietzsche's superman. We are Christ's people, Christ's followers. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We get angry at sin and its consequences at death and everything else. But we celebrate that there is one who has gone before us, who has cleared the way, who has defeated our great enemies. We do not fear death. We do not fear the consequences of sin because we are forgiven, we are loved, and our Lord is risen. Amen. Let's sing about that. Let's sing wonderful hymn. See what a morning. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.